Now, there's some people out there that say, well, that is my prerogative. If I'm the business owner, that's how it works. And that's, that's fine. I just wouldn't want to work for a, a group like that with that kind of mindset. Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to another episode of APM Success. Got another solo episode this week. I'm eager to address a question that has come up a few different times in the last month or so amongst clients and friends. Whenever I keep bumping into things with clients that are important career questions, it often reminds me that this is a perfect format to scalably address these questions. And then in the future, I can send a podcast link to unpack these concepts. So today I want to talk about partnership in an anesthesia practice. This is something that since I started doing this specialty specific work a handful of years ago has evolved significantly. And as the landscape for employment has evolved, what partnership is and what partnership means has also evolved. When I talk about partnership, when you're a partner in a business, what that means is you're a part owner. Partnership is a word that is used imprecisely by some practices. It doesn't mean the same thing in every context, but what a partner generally is, is somebody who's who owns a certain percentage of a company, and as a result, a share of the revenue, and a share of the expenses, and a share of the profit belongs to each partner, ratably, in accordance with their percentage of ownership. There are three key benefits of partnership, or I should say three key facets of consideration. So I'm going to give you a paradigm today to assess what does partnership mean in any given specific opportunity. So if you're looking at being a partner in an anesthesia practice, these are the three areas you want to think about. How does partnership impact each of these in order to understand what does it mean? What does it mean to be a partner in this group and how attractive is partnership? Because I can tell you, I have some friends who are and clients who are partners in an anesthesia practice and others who are not. And some of the partners uh, really like being partners and make more money and have more autonomy than their employed peers. On the other hand, I have some employed anesthesiologist clients who actually like their job, like the economics, their compensation and their vacation, all that. They like it better than others who are partners. So there is no one size fits all solution. And I don't think that partnership is always better for an anesthesiologist. So you want to take each opportunity on its own merits, and you want to look closely at these three things. These are the three benefits of partnership, as I have observed. The first is decision-making for the physician, also known as autonomy in a given role. The second is going to be the increased income that comes from partnership. And the third is the saleability of the equity stake which you own. The attractiveness of any partnership opportunity will be in direct relationship to how partnership interacts with these concepts. The first is decision-making for a physician partner. One of the best things about partnership is that if you're an owner, you're the boss. You can do whatever you want to. Now, there are downstream implications and consequences of those actions, but just having the control to make a decision 
is in itself empowering and freeing. And a lot of people really like that. However, not all practices have the same amount of decision-making power and autonomy for their partners. To take two extreme examples on either end of the spectrum, some practices, if they're a smaller physician-owned group, maybe there's just a handful of doctors or maybe a few more. And there's not really staff, there's not a professional management team, there's not an administrative office that could be a lower overhead operation. In this type of setting, whenever the, the partnership team gets together to make a decision, it means a handful of doctors go out to dinner and talk about what they ought to do. So that is a circumstance in which your decision-making power is at its highest. It doesn't get much more <laughs> autonomous than literally having to make a decision about every thing in your business. Now, to some physicians, maybe that's a real bummer and they want to do the clinical stuff and want to leave the business part to somebody else. There's a, you know, pros and cons to doing that. But the point is, if you want decision-making power and you see that as a benefit of partnership, then you want to understand how decisions are made. And in some practices, every doctor is required to make just about every decision. As organizations scale, that is not a feasible way to operate to have every partner involved in every decision. So usually what happens is there's committees, you know, now maybe there's 20 or 30 physicians involved in a practice. And every time somebody gets hired, a new physician gets hired, they don't need to ask 27 different doctors, should we hire Dr. Smith? They maybe have a committee of four doctors whose job it is to review the CVs, conduct the interviews, make a recommendation to the organization, and then the organization acts accordingly. You lose the ability to decide, the ability to enact on behalf of the organization, but you also have the benefit of not needing to interview every candidate. So as organizations scale, your ability to interact with those decisions decreases. Now you can always get on that committee if you want to. And there's committees for every critical business function. So when you go from that small practice to that, I'll call a medium-sized practice, 20 to 50 physicians, then you get into the committees and the layers and the usually still physician-run and not integrating yet a professional management team, but uh, you get more and more removed in terms of decision-making. Now, even when this happens, what I have generally observed is that in these organizations of this size that are anesthesia companies, there's still a physician centrism in terms of the values. So they're still trying to make ABC anesthesia a great place to work. They want to have benefits. They want to have work-life balance. They want to have communication from management. They want to have call compensation. They want to have all these things to be physician-friendly because they're interested in attracting and retaining. And the people who are partners are also the employees who have to work in the business clinically. So physician ownership in this context is, you know, has a lot of intangible benefits, even if the physicians themselves aren't always involved in all the decisions. And as we swing all the way out on the spectrum, in terms of physician decision-making for partner physicians, there are bigger regional groups and even a national group or two that have physician partners. In terms of the physician autonomy and decision-making power, as well as the physician centrism, you want to really kick the tires with these bigger groups. Because even if they have people they call, I'll put it in air quotes, they call partners, Partnership in that context, in the context of a big organization, just doesn't mean the same thing in terms of benefit to the partners. Frankly, in terms of the job description, the decision-making power, and sometimes even the physician centrism, this type of 
partnership often looks more like an employed role, meaning your ability to determine policy, your ability to make any important business decision, and the vibe, (laughs) the cultural vibe might be akin to a university employed role, a big healthcare system role. It might be more like that than it is a smaller physician-owned type of vibe. Now, again, there's pros and cons to that. Some people like that and some don't. But I will say that there are bigger groups that have, I'll call them, we'll coin uh, an acronym here, a PINO, partner in name only. So if you're a physician to whom partnership is described as part of the career track, you want to make sure that you know what partnership looks like. And if it's a bigger group, just because of the science of organizational dynamics, you're going to be removed from decision-making and you may be removed from autonomy and some of the benefits that come with that. So the point is just know yourself and know what you're looking for. And if that works for you in terms of the employment model, then great. But you should just have in the back of your mind that being a partner doesn't mean like a business owner in what I'll call the classic sense of calling the shots. So that is business. That is partnership across the different business models. Now, this is probably a good place for me to put an asterisk with a caveat here. Any different opportunity needs to be vetted on its own merits. And I do see a wide variety of how this works. So I'm always limited to just rules of thumb and speaking in vague abstractions to some extent, but hopefully this paradigm is helpful for decision-making in terms of thinking about partnership and what it means. Because partnership in general is valuable, but it's more valuable in some contexts than others. The second item I want to discuss is further evidence that it's more valuable in some than in others. And what I want to discuss second is compensation. Often there's a couple different tiers of pay in any anesthesia company where there's partners. There's the partner pay and the non-partner pay. Sometimes if there's an earn in or a partner track position, you'll start out at a lower number and then maybe ratchet up in year two and ratchet up a little bit more in year three. And then in year four or whatever the timescale is, you'll have the quote unquote partner compensation. This is often still a bit nebulous in terms of what it means. Generally, when you're a partner, you own a share of a business. If I'm a 1% owner and there I'm at ABC Anesthesia, there's 100 physician partners and I own 1% and we all own 1%. What that means generally from a business standpoint is if I'm a 1% owner, I am getting compensated based on whatever the compensation arrangement is at the company. So if I'm getting paid based on shifts or based on units of production or based on a flat salary plus some quarterly bonus, whatever that is, I got my compensation. Generally, that will be within a pretty narrow band for all partners. Obviously, a production model, the more you work, the more you get paid. And then the fact that I'm a partner means that whenever we calculate the profits, I get a 1% share of whatever that profit is. So if we make a million bucks and I've got 1%, I get a $10,000 profit distribution as a 1% owner. So understanding how compensation changes between partners and non-partners is really, really important. And one of the unfortunate realities... For a physician who wants certainty, one of the unfortunate realities is you make a lot when business is good. You don't make a lot when business isn't good. And sometimes it's difficult to tell where that inflection point (laughs) is and when it's going to occur. Because any business that's making good money, any anesthesia group that's making good money, frankly, first of all, it's getting tougher and tougher for that to be the case. Just because of reimbursement, lots of other challenges. 
But if that was the case, uh, any single group or even any region or any state is subject to these business risks that can significantly impact profitability. So to give you a couple examples of business risks, some of the some of it is down in the weeds necessarily, and I'm not an expert in many of these, but the way that billing happens in a care team model is a business risk. In some states, the way that you can get reimbursed based on different levels of oversight, if it's one MD to two CRNAs versus one MD to four CRNAs, depending on what state you're in, or is it, you know, CRNAs can do their own thing and don't require physician supervision. Different insurance companies are going to pay different rates for the services in that state based on the oversight ratio. And, and this is changing in real time. So in the past where maybe you've been able to earn more in a care team because of the way that CRNA efforts are reimbursed, that can be changed kind of by insurer fiat. That's a business risk. If you have certain profitability based on a certain staffing ratio, and then the rules change and you're just reimbursed much less in a new, you know, on a go forward basis, that can impact profitability and that's going to impact partnership distributions. If you're coming into a practice and you're on the, you know, 250 in year one, 350 in year two, and year three, you're finally making that partner compensation. If during the intervening time, there's an, a disadvantageous change to how billing works, how reimbursement works. If you're getting quote unquote partner compensation, it might be that the partners of yesteryear made a lot more. Now, because of the new reimbursement pressures, the partner is going to make a lot less who has put in a lot of sweat equity for the for a couple of years to get there. So being aware that these business risks exist is important. And understanding when you go like year one of X, year two of 1.25 X and year three of quote unquote partner compensation, that is a little bit of a black box. So you want to understand as much of you, as you can about the business risks and hopefully having a financial margin of safety. You don't want to build up living expenses significantly during an earn in period where you're earning that sweat equity, you're earning, you're making less than your partner peers and basically writing IOUs to your future self. Because if you get to that place of partner compensation and your group loses a contract, your group has a disadvantageous billing shift, there's a, a business shock to the system that happens and you're, you're counting on making $800,000 a year and you're actually making half of that. This can and does happen. And you want to make sure that you have the financial margin to be able to absorb that type of circumstance. So decision-making all along the way is really important. So that's the second component is partnership is only as valuable as it is favorable to your income and the calculation of your income. In many groups that are physician-owned, often partnership, the partnership component that is related to compensation is expressed in a percentage of overhead, which functionally creates a an earn-in, meaning of all the, if you're getting paid on your gross receipts, say. So if I did a million dollars a year of a million dollars a year of collections and there's an overhead, you know, holdback assigned to that. Maybe for non-partners, the holdback is 60%. And then for partners, the holdback is 50%. So we're incentivized in the same direction. The more I collect, the more shifts I do, the more cases I do, the more gross receipts I have. And I'm making a ratio of that. And then as time passes, I'm making a higher ratio of that. This is frankly, in my 
observation, a pretty equitable model. There's a, a small amount of sweat equity associated with this type of opportunity. And then there's a, again, an equitable way to compensate partners. And what, what this prevents, this prevents people from being partner, playing golf three or four days a week and making a huge amount of money off of either junior partners or associates who are not partners. Now, there's some people out there that say, well, that is my prerogative. If I'm the business owner, that's how it works. And that's, that's fine. I just wouldn't want to work for a, a group like that with that kind of mindset. The third and final consideration about the desirability of partnership has to do with the value of the equity, the saleability of the slice of the business that you own. Historically, one of the reasons that partnership is valuable is you can sell to somebody else, either a hospital or a big, a bigger regional or national group or another physician. You can sell your equity and have a windfall in many cases. Historically, you know, with the private equity buying up many anesthesia groups over the last 10 years, anesthesia, by the way, is the, is the most private equity purchased specialty of any of the specialties over the last handful of years. Well, this was true at least like 2013 to 2018. It has slowed down since then. And now I think has significantly slowed down. But there was a time when anesthesia was very sexy in private equity land. What that means is if you own a 1% share of that ABC anesthesia and XYZ company on Wall Street wants to pay $300 million for this anesthesia company, if you're a 1% owner, you get $3 million. And the equity tranche is actually pretty valuable. That creates what we call the golden parachute or the, you know, you get the equity windfall where you're, uh, you have like a retirement fund built in right there that happens, boom, at age, whatever. If you're an older physician, you want to transition out and this acquisition happens at the same time, that can be a great thing. More and more that is getting much more rare. And I will also say the saleability of any equity stake in an anesthesia company varies widely. You need to understand the things that make equity desirable in order to understand value. Because I can tell you there are many examples of a group that has a an equity stake or a group that has physicians that own an equity stake where either the company got bought or there was like a hospital thing. <laughs> you know, the hospital is now doing their own anesthesia or there was a, an RFP. The hospital put out a request for proposal to solicit bids from other anesthesia groups. And that resulted in the loss of a contract. That was a massively important facet of the value of that equity. So I've seen the whole range, you know, everything from, well, I was a partner at a physician owned anesthesia group. And it turned out that that equity was worth zero in terms of saleability, all the way to the other end of the spectrum where we're talking millions based on a private equity buyout. So understanding the value in the context of a group sale is really important. As you're thinking about this, it's also important to think about group governance and under what circumstances is a sale going to happen? Because if you're a 36-year-old doctor who's hoping to practice anesthesia for another 20 plus years, sure, it's great to make a couple million bucks, but if you're 36 and you, you still want to do this, you might not want to work for a private equity owned group for the next 15 or 20 years. That might burn you out more quickly because then you lose all the autonomy and then you lose the physician centrism of the employment model and it becomes a place that you don't want to be. So you're actually better off in many cases, maintaining partner status, maintaining the autonomy 
maintaining the higher rate of pay for a number of years and not selling out rather than selling. However, if you're with a group that has a bunch of older physicians who are closer to retirement, they're like, yeah, you know, maybe I wanted to practice for five more years, but I can cash out now and not have to deal with the future. You want to be cognizant of how decisions are going to be made in the event of a potential sale. And if you're a younger doc with plenty of tread on the tires, you don't want to be the only young doc in an organization full of physicians with more tenure who are going to be en masse more interested in selling. Then, you know, the equity trade is you get you get the cash, but I mean, frankly, it's still a, a pretty good case scenario where you cash out, but then you might not want to keep on working there. What I more frequently find is that physician partners think that their equity is worth something, and maybe on paper it is, but they don't realize, doctors don't realize that that couple percent of this anesthesia group actually isn't as valuable as I thought. Because unless you can find a buyer, there's no ability to monetize. It reminds me of the old adage of the two cowboys leaning on the fence. And the one cowboy says to the other, look at that horse out there. My horse, that horse is worth a million dollars. And the other cowboy says, a million dollars, that's a lot of money. How how do you know it's worth a million bucks? He's like, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a million, but I just haven't sold him yet. Needless to say, that horse probably isn't worth a million bucks if you can't find somebody to pay the million dollars. And a, a tranche of anesthesia company equity is valued at only as much as someone's willing to pay for it. And with reimbursement being squished and with value frequently contingent on the strength of contracts with sites of service and reimbursement levels with, with insurers in whatever state you're in, there's just so many variables that are all sort of pushing the wrong direction a physician, in my observation, a physician is much more likely to overate, overestimate the value of their equity stake than underestimate. So plan accordingly. You want to understand the saleability of your equity stake, but also you shouldn't presume that there will be saleability and you should go for that. Oh, frankly, what I find in terms of these three variables, the decision-making power, ability to earn income higher than your peers, and the saleability of the equity stake. The most valuable of those three is a combination of one and two. The physician centrism that tends to exist in terms of the employment ethos, that part of number one, and then the partner compensation in number two, in my observation, are the most valuable. So as you're looking at a partner role in an anesthesia group, make sure that you understand, especially for each of those two, how it's gonna play out, what those mean to you, how those two facets are manifest in any particular job opportunity as you're considering if a job is the right fit for you. So hopefully that's helpful. If you have any specific questions on this, I'm glad to always be a sounding board informally for people looking at job offers. And I also appreciate using that opportunity to understand what the job market is like. So feel free to drop me a line, Justin at APM Success, if you want to chat. And in addition, if you have other employment related questions, technical, compensation, contract, that you're wondering about, it's likely that there's other people out there wondering about them as well. So feel free to email any questions that you have that you want me to address on the show, justin at apmsuccess.com. Finally, for anybody who's going to be in Miami next month in July for the Aspen Conference, the American Society of Pain and Neuroscience, drop me a line and would love to meet up in person. As always, thanks for tuning in. I don't take for granted that there are people out there that are willing to dedicate their time and attention 
to hearing what I have to say. I try to steward that <laughs> with wisdom and sobriety. Hopefully today's discussion was valuable. Look forward to talking to you next week. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.